Welcome to the Hindsight Decision Makers Podcast. Here we dive into what's on the minds of the women and men who make the state of New Hampshire tick. And here is your host, Patrick Hines of Hines Communications. Welcome back to the Hindsight Decision Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. This week, I had the opportunity to talk to Representative Ross Berry, who represents Litchfield and Manchester in the House of Representatives. Representative Berry serves on the House Election Law Committee. There, he and his colleagues are examining legislation to move the date of the state primary from September to sometime earlier in the summer. We talked a little bit about that, and I also asked him about redistricting. Representative Barry has been assigned to the special committee that will redraw the state's legislative districts for the next 10 years. Please enjoy my conversation with Representative Ross Barry. There could be some changes to elections in the Granite State over the next few cycles, and you're kind of uh, at the center of both of them. Um, let's tackle the first issue. Uh, on the House Election Law Committee, you and your colleagues are looking at a couple of bills to actually move the date of the state primary to earlier in August or June. Can you kind of describe the thinking behind this idea? Yeah, so a couple of things to establish right off the bat. New Hampshire is first in the nation on our presidential primary, but we're usually last in the nation on our state primary. So occasionally Rhode Island will be behind us, but we are we are usually dead last. So this creates a problem. The the problem is when you have an incumbent who is not going through a primary, they are at an inherent advantage over a non-incumbent who is more than likely in a primary. And to kind of explain that, when candidates are in primaries, they're focused on a very small part of the electorate, and their message is different. So when you have a primary that ends you know, nine weeks, eight weeks before the general election, or six weeks, it's actually ours, it's ours is six weeks, that candidate has six weeks to then address the broader electorate, which is anywhere from three to four to five times the size of the people that they've been talking to with a new message, while the incumbent has had the advantage of all summer, all fall, talking with their message to the voters that are going to be on election on, on the general election. So that creates an inherent disadvantage. Um, bluntly, it's, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of disrupting systems. And that is a system that's designed to protect incumbents, and it needs to be changed. Yeah, it sometimes feels like our entire election system is designed to protect incumbents sometimes. Um, what are what are critics of the idea saying? And, and certainly there are critics of the idea. What are they saying, and how do you rebut their arguments? Yeah, they don't have extremely good arguments against this. The the number one I hear, which is I I try not to roll my eyes when they say this. They say, oh well, we can't we can't be doing session and file for office at the same time. And it's kind of like you know what you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You can't you right. can't manage to pay your town clerk two dollars to put your name on the ballot at the same time that you're voting on things. And you know the other thing that they say is, well, you know we're still in session 
you don't know what that person's voting record is. It's like, well, that's not really true. I mean, we've had a year and two months, a year and four months at that point of them voting on things. I think we have a pretty good idea where those people stand on the issues at that point. And it's, it's mostly, to be honest, when they, when they're saying these things, they're looking for reasons not to change things. And, you know, New Hampshire is, you, you would, you cannot believe the kind of good old boys club of refusing to change or even consider the idea of changing something that is ultimately going to be better for the voters. I, I personally believe that voters deserve to hear from candidates from both parties, Republican and Democrat. Because make no mistake, when I say this protects incumbents, it protects Republican incumbents and Democrat incumbents. What are the, well, first of all, do you have any idea at this early date what uh, what date the the final bill might settle on, August or June or somewhere in between? And what are the prospects of this idea being enacted into law? Yeah, I think a lot of this is going to depend on the Senate. I think there's more appetite on pushing it back farther on the House side. You know, if it ends up in August, that's fine. So be it. I, I really do think the best thing for the candidates and their campaigns and the voters is June. But it's, you know, we're, we're going to see where it shakes out. The Secretary of State actually has a rider bill in that moves it back a week. And that one's pretty much just a non-starter in my mind. If we're moving it back a week, we're going to move it back a couple months. Right. Yeah. If you're going to move it back a week, it seems that seems almost unnecessary and pointless to me. Yeah, they, they, um, they have a, to be fair, they have a good reason for wanting to move it back, which is to comply with the UOCAVA uh, sending sending ballots uh, to overseas members of the military. Um, there's a requirement that they have those ballots in hand in time. But it's, it's like, all right, so we can move it back for that, but we can't move it back to actually have competitive elections. Like, all right, get out of here. Right, right. So in the last uh, couple of weeks, you've also been assigned by the speaker uh, to the special redistricting committee that's responsible for redrawing legislative district lines for the next 10 years. Could you take just a couple of minutes to give us like a redistricting one-on-one lesson? What is redistricting? Why do we have to do it? What are the outcomes? Yeah. So redistricting is a constitutionally mandated um, procedure that we have to do every two years after the census. So I know COVID-19 has been going on for a while, but believe it or not, we conducted a census in 2020 in April. Um, and those results were supposed to be out actually pretty much pretty much next month, but it's been delayed and delayed. Now we're not going to see that till September. But what we have to do is, and the reason we have to do this is, is there's the one man, one vote principle, which basically says that, you know, as as one person um, when you go to the polls in a district, you are represented. You're, you're, you have rep- equal representation to somebody who lives in another town, city, county, um, whatever. So as people move, they move across state lines, they move within the state, right? Town populations shift, and New Hampshire's population traditionally grows. And you know we have to see from a population standpoint where those areas of growth are, which means you know we only have 400 seats in the state house. Right. So we have to shift those seats around based on where people are living. Now, this is constitutionally mandated. We have to do it every 10 years. And yet every 10 years all around the country, it turns into big political football. But what has the Supreme Court said about redistricting? Yep. So the Supreme Court, there's been several cases over the last decade. And the 
you, the way that they are moving is towards this is a political project. This is a political problem. It's the job of the state legislators. And the the one core requirement that's left outside of obviously one man one vote is you know you cannot racially gerrymander, which given the demographics of New Hampshire would be <laughs> impossible to do. Um, I don't even know how you could right. go about doing that if you wanted to. Um, for the record, no one wants to do that. So you know we're not under. We historically have not been under um, the same requirements as states down south. I know that we had a county back in 1967 or something like that that was under, I believe, Section 5 of what's called the Civil Rights Act or the Voters' Rights Act. Um, but, you know, that was lifted many, many, many generations ago. Um, right. And now, you know, now we are effectively free to draw the lines as we see fit so long as they are constitutional, which means that the lines have to be contiguous and obviously equally proportionate. Now, I'm already seeing people on Twitter hyperventilate that this is being a political process, it's not being fair, and so forth. But the committee hasn't done anything yet. We don't actually even have the census data yet. So this, is just, were, this is just political noise, right? Yeah, correct. They were screaming gerrymandering before the committee had even been formed. So it's, <laughs> you know, I, I would expect from the political front to see a lot of feigned outrage um, they don't even know. We haven't even had a discussion as to what these things are supposed to look like or what they should look like. Uh, I haven't even, in fact, I have unreturned phone calls to some of my fellow committee members. We're, we're that early in the process and they're already acting like the world's on fire. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Most of these attacks come from the left and you know, they, they, they're the ones who say elections have consequences. And it's well, it's like, well, you know, Republicans control Concord now and, before you go and scream gerrymandering, remember, Joe Biden won this state by eight points. And those same voters that elected Joe Biden by 8% sent Republicans to Congress. And it was, I mean, excuse me, sent Republicans to Concord. And it wasn't, you know, a Scooby-Doo mystery that redistricting was on the ballot. So, right. you know, they're, they're going to, my, basically, my conclusion is with this, with the political posture. If we moved one town in one district, the amount of feigned outrage about gerrymandering would be the same as if we rearranged the whole map. So, you know, you just kind of ignore the noise, put your head down, and, and do your best job. Now, uh, last question, just to wrap up. You are, you guys are hustling on the election law committee. There's a lot of stuff out there. Anything else you want to plug uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, you know, so we have 52 bills on the House side of election law. And one of the things that I've made it a point um, to kind of bring up, which is something that uh, bluntly gets swept under the rug every year, is I think voters in New Hampshire need to understand just how ridiculous our voting laws are. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a voter fraud conspiracy theorist. You know, I'm not, I, you'll, you'll never hear me talk about those sort of things. But I think, I think the voters of New Hampshire should understand that in New Hampshire, if you've lived in here, if you lived in this state for 30 seconds, that's actually 29 seconds more than you have not been here to vote here. And our state law allows somebody who has been in the state for one second to walk into the polling location, present no ID, no proof of domicile, which is basically, you know, the average person can think of it as proof of residency. Like, where do you live? You have a, you have a mortgage, a, an, an Xfinity bill, you have anything. The, our state law requires none of that. You walk into the polling location with nothing, having been here for one second, 
and they are going to hand you a ballot. And it's not going to be a provisional ballot. That's the, that's the next thing they always say. But there's no provisional balloting in New Hampshire. We're one of three states that doesn't have that. They're going to hand you a ballot. It's going to go in the box with everyone else. And the moment we try to address this, they scream voter suppression. And no one is talking about, you know, who is, who is being suppressed here. The, the people being suppressed here are the residents that live here. And when they say there's no voter fraud, the situation that I just defined to you, where somebody literally walks across the state line with no ID, no proof of domicile, and walks into a poll location and casts a ballot, doesn't commit a crime unless they voted in the state they came from. And I think people need to start understanding that when we start having conversations about what the, our voter laws look like. Representative Ross Berry, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Decision Makers. If you enjoy conversations with Granite State leaders about the big issues that matter, please subscribe to Decision Makers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.